Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're <laughs> listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Vivian Kelly. Joining me to break down your week in media and marketing is Mumbrella's injured senior media reporter, Hannah Blackiston. Hello. And reporter, Brittany Rigby. Hello. This week, we'll be talking about redundancies at Southern Cross Osterio. Ad spend down 8.5% in October. Mark Code leaves PhD for IPG Media Brands. And nine wins the year in TV. Radio business Southern Cross Oz Stereo, which owns the Hit Network and Triple M, has been in the headlines a lot this week after the media company was forced into mass redundancies by a poor ad market and a business restructure. The number of people to go is thought to be around 90, with the most senior name so far, head of music for Hit Network, Irene Hume. Hannah, just give us a bit more detail on what's caused these layoffs in terms of, you know, when we talk about a poor ad market, there's a lot of people in the industry that say, you know, oh, you just need you just need to be more positive and we need, we need to stop talking ourselves into a hole and there's been a lot of pressure on the trade press to tell more positive stories. But then there are realities and economic realities and headwinds like this and it's a bit unavoidable. It seems that these layoffs are happening. It definitely is because, I mean, if you think about a business like SCA, if people aren't buying ads, then money just isn't coming in. And especially in the case of SCA, who unfortunately in October had to release a warning to this ASX that they were, they were struggling from weak media markets. Um, in August at their half year reporting, their half year reporting showed a $91 million loss. So overall, they're kind of stuck in this place where if it was a, a incorrectly bad ad market they would probably be okay and they'd be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel but unfortunately the reality of the thing is that times are really so tough they're trying to save i believe it's around 10 million dollars off their balance sheet and unfortunately that's going to have to come with redundancies 90 is of course a pretty high number um and at the moment the most senior person has been irene but there are a couple more names floating around who might go by the end of it so it's hard to tell where it'll end, but you can kind of, you've got to feel for them because you, you know, what choice do they have? It's interesting with SCA because you mentioned the uh, $91 million loss earlier this year. And it's important to note that that wasn't, an, you know, all cash loss. There are things associated with write downs and with them changing uh, their regional television business and all of that. So revenues for audio segment were actually up. But they've got all these other kinds of headwinds, you know, the, the tough advertising market, the regional television licenses. Obviously, they've struggled with Today FM in Sydney and their audience share and attracting advertising dollars there. It's definitely a, a business in transition. And look, the rumours are that there's some other really senior names to go. Perhaps we won't mention them yet until until they're confirmed. I'm sure people at home can guess the types of names that are swirling. But do you think this is going to affect other radio companies, Hannah? I was at uh, the Mumbrella Media Retreat earlier this week and we were operating under the Chatham House rule. So, you know, you can't sort of say who said what, but you can talk about the, the themes and ideas that emerged. And 
when news of the SCA redundancies broke while I was down in Tasmania, the sense was very much, you know, this is not isolated to SCA as much as they've made some poor decisions with Today FM and as much as people can question certain management direction, it's not like it's their fault. This is an industry-wide thing and the sentiment seemed to be SCA is the first to come out with the announcement, but they're certainly not the only ones who will be going through this before the end of the year. Yeah, I think SCA was already kind of under the microscope earlier this year. They let about 30 roles go as they outsource their broadcast transmissions, which is obviously a reflection on them changing their business model. Um, But I think from what I've heard by the end of the well, by the end of this period, we should expect some fairly big numbers across the entire radio industry to have gone. I think you're right. I think SCA is maybe just the first one, but I don't think it'll be over before the end of December. I think as well, SCA is a bit different in that they're ASX listed. So sometimes they have an obligation to be a bit more transparent uh, than perhaps other companies who aren't on the ASX have to be you know they are not only are they answerable to their advertisers and to their staff and to observers they also have investors who they have to be very very transparent with about the exact economic position of their company so that's another reason that sometimes we hear more from SCA and it doesn't mean that they're sort of doing worse than other people necessarily. It's worth noting as well it isn't even just radio we're seeing this across a bunch of media businesses it feels like every second day somebody's telling me about more redundancies. So it isn't just radio and it isn't just SCA. I just think they happen to be the one who are in the spotlight right now. Well, look, speaking of uh, ASX listed companies and the need for Mumbrella to be more positive and report more positive news, one thing that did emerge this week was outdoor company O Media has upgraded its earnings forecast for Q4. So it seems that bookings have improved. So that's perhaps one good sign on the Adland horizon, Hannah. Yeah. So it comes four months after they did drop uh, their full year profit profit expectations. So it's kind of been a bit up and down, but basically they posted to the ASX saying bookings have improved, um, improved more than they expected them to. So they've popped them back up again. Um, it's kind of about 10, it started off 152 to 162 million. Then it dropped down to 125 to 135 million. And now it's back up to 138 to 143 million. So you're looking at about 10 million in between each one. Um, they obviously also own junkie media and they bought street furniture business Adchill in 2018. So there's kind of a lot of different things folding into that, but it's, you know, good for them that they're able to do something like that, especially after having what was a bit rough middle of the year. And look, it gives us an opportunity to do a positive story. So (laughs) shout out to Brendan Cook and O Media for that one, because up next, we will be talking about how ad spend continues to drop. So back in September, the Standard Media Index, which compiles media agency ad booking figures predicted that in October we would return to growth and that was said to be a positive sign in the face of recent market weakness. But Hannah, the October figures came out and it would seem that that prediction, as optimistic as it was, didn't come to fruition unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately not. Um, 8.5% it was back in October. Um, They did the release that came with that said it was an unexpectedly weak month 
it was just kind of across the board, really. I think the um, biggest drops were in travel, I'm pretty sure. And insurance, I think, dropped a bit more than they were expecting as well. But I think what had happened was maybe in September there were some positive signs on the horizon and similarly to what you just what we just discussed desperate for a good news story SMI kind of came out and said oh things might be okay towards the end of the year and then October has just smacked that back into position so I mean really it's just a reflection of what we're seeing across the industry and what everyone is talking about it shouldn't really come as a shock to anybody but 8.5 is a pretty big drop yeah so the managing director of SMI Jane Ratcliffe had said back in September. So now the only question is when will the bounce back begin? And our forecasts indicate that will happen before year end and possibly as soon as October. So it could still happen because we've still got the November figures to come and the December figures to come. And as we've just spoken about, you know, O Media has seen a slight turnaround in its bookings. But I think that perhaps, yeah, that that desperate need to predict growth and and have a good news story that the flip side of that is if you predict it and then it doesn't happen coming out with a negative figure is almost worse mm. because instead of it just being a negative figure you've got to be like whoops that growth that we thought would happen didn't, didn't. happen so i suspect that maybe now from smi we might just sort of see some less optimistic forecasts and just the figures coming out until people have a more accurate sense of what's really going on. I think as well, I've just got the story in front of me. I was wrong. Insurance rose. Travel did drop, but I think the other drops are retail and automotive. Automotive has obviously been on the decline for a while. That's an industry that's in serious trouble at the moment. But I think what must be concerning is drops in travel and retail ahead of the holidays, ahead of Christmas, like that must be a bit questionable. So insurance and restaurant were the only ones that grew and restaurant grew mainly because that industry is facing a lot of issues with home delivery at the moment. So they're scrambling. So I think if you're relying on industries that are scrambling to spend money, things must be a bit scary. Yeah. And as I understand it, the travel drop was probably the most unexpected one. And the one that meant that the forecast not only didn't match up with the figures, but was quite a bit off. There was chat about at the media retreat, as Viv mentioned, about why that might be the case. And interestingly, I hadn't thought about it this way, but there were people who were saying that basically as you move into the holidays and towards Christmas, travel bookings and demand is already there. You're probably at occupancy for most places And so there's not as much of a need to try and get people to spend. They've already spent at this point with their Christmas bookings and with their Christmas travel plans. So instead, travel companies are actually putting their spend into other months of the year, into down seasons, into uh, times that there's not going to be the bookings there. And so apparently there, there has been a bit of a trend emerge where moving into Christmas and the holidays, travel companies just aren't spending as much as what perhaps the SMI thought they would and perhaps, yeah, others thought they might. Up next, Mark Code moves to IPG Media Brands. But before we move on, keep listening until the end of the podcast to hear our brand new sponsored segment, Audio Diaries, from audio specialist agency Eardrum. Ralph Van Dyke, founder of Eardrum, talks to some of Australia's leading CMOs about the growing role audio is playing in their brand development. Today, you'll hear his chat with Kimberly Clark about Huggies and You by Kotex. So in media agency land, there was another big 
announcement over the past week with PhD CEO Mark Code announcing that he would be stepping down after seven years. And then very soon after that, it emerged that he was taking the helm as CEO of IPG Media Brands Australia, which oversees agencies such as UM and Initiative. He takes up the new role nine months after Danny Bass vacated it. And taking his role at PhD is Mark Jarrett, who joined the business in 2016. Brittany, IPG Media Brands in Australia has been without a leader for quite a while, to the point where the industry was almost speculating, are they even going to replace Danny Bass? Does the holding group need a CEO when it's got such effective CEOs leading its individual agencies and then other people sort of taking care of the big network? Obviously, they've decided they do need a CEO and that's in the form of Mark Code. Why do you think it took so long then? I think that Lee Terry probably knew that he could act in a caretaker role for, you know, the best part of this year and it wasn't something that was kind of super urgent. They wanted to find the right person, right? You don't have a whole lot of people at a CEO level, you know, sitting at home waiting to be called up for a job. So I think... No, well, I, I hear Henry Tasia is available. Well, as of last week, not as of <laughs> February, <laughs> although he just started then, I guess. Um, so I think that's part of it. The other part of it is is that Danny left and was obviously placed on gardening leave, so they're paying that out. It, it might just be as simple as, you know, not wanting to double up. Uh, I'm sure that Mark is going to be paid good money there. Lee Terry is on good money They've obviously paid, you know, Danny his gardening leave. So I think that's part of it. And from what I've heard throughout the year, it was was really about ensuring that the person next in line there not only worked really well with the likes of Mel Fine at Initiative and Fiona Johnston at UM, but also Lee Terry, which, I mean, in in that sense, Mark Code is kind of the perfect person because he has such a rapport with... Lee Terry and has worked with him before and it's really seen as kind of a reunion of the two of them moving from Omnicom to now IPG. So I think that's why it's taken so long. I, I heard rumours sort of a, f- a couple of months ago that it would definitely be sorted out by Christmas and that's been the case. So I think they, they wanted someone to, to get in there early next year. He's set to start at the beginning of the quarter next year. He, obviously, he's also on gardening leave from PhD. And so I think it was kind of just the right time. Yeah. So Lee Terry, Mark Code and Omnicom Media Group CEO Peter Horgan obviously have quite a history together having come up through the ranks and worked in various roles, particularly at Omnicom agencies and and within that. So I guess for Lee Terry, Mark is a tried and tested leader. And I think for Peter, if you're going to lose Mark Code to anyone, you're probably yeah. most or least upset to lose him yeah. to Lee Terry. Yeah. He, I'm sure that they'll, he'd be happier with that than, than should Cody have taken the Dan role. My understanding, Brittany, as well, was that staff at PhD were pretty shattered to be losing Mark Code, but that that upset was somewhat curtailed by Mark Jarrett or MJ's appointment to the role. Yeah, I mean, not only just within PhD, but you talk to kind of anyone in the industry and everyone seems to love Mark Code, like genuinely love Mark Code. And PhD definitely loved him. So I don't think that it was super expected. You know, he's been there for a long time when 
we heard murmurings earlier last week that there might be something happening within the Omnicom Media Group. Uh, Tim said, could it be Hearts and Science? Because he was like, okay, well, it's not Amy at OMD, Amy Buchanan. It can't be Mark Code at PhD. <laughs> Maybe it's something at Hearts and Science. So I don't think it was expected for PhD staff, but Mark Jarrett is also really respected there went through apparently quite a rigorous process to get the job. So, you know, it wasn't like he was a, a, an immediate shoe in has definitely earned the position. And from what I've heard, staff there just really pleased for him, a really obvious choice to lead the agency, a, a really, you know, good person to lead them into the next chapter as well. So, yeah, I mean, a silver lining there for PhD, I guess. Well, I wonder if that will be the last major media agency move of the year or if we'll have any We can more. only hope so. I'm too tired for more. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, Nine takes the TV crown for 2019. So the official ratings period for TV for 2019 has ended with nine taking the total people crown. That's an honour that Seven has held for the past 12 years. And at Seven's all fronts last year, Chief Revenue Officer Kurt Burnett stood on stage saying that they'd won 12 years and they were going to win 14 years, which included 2019 and 2020, thanks to the Tokyo Olympics that are happening next year. So look, it it wasn't expected a year ago, but I guess partway through this year, all signs were pointing to nine winning. They had such a strong start to the year with Married at First Sight and just sort of kept going from there while Seven had quite a few issues with its tentpole primetime programming, despite the strength of its news and home in a way and you know, you could argue whether My Kitchen Rules, it's not what it used to be, but it's still doing all right considering how damn old it is. But Nine would tell you that they don't care about total people. Uh, what what do they care about, Hannah? They don't. Um, yeah, to speak to your earlier point, I think considering it wasn't a clear win, like it was, you know, a couple of percent, which obviously is not easy, but it wasn't like, you know, nine were miles out in front. I think seven gave a good effort, which is why it kind of did come down to the wire. You were always just like, oh God, yeah. maybe something will there change. There have been previous years where it's really obvious months in advance, mm. like, oh, seven's won this. There's nothing that can happen that will top of them. Whereas, you know, when we were watching the network shares year to date survey, you know, you couldn't call it. Everyone sort of assumed, okay, unless, unless nine hasn't you know, unless nine absolutely shits the bed, like they're going to be fine. But no one was sort of quite willing to say it because it was it was closer than previous years have been. Yeah. But um, so what it is that nine really care about is the key advertising demographics. So that's the 16 to 39s, the 18 to 49s and the 25 to 54s. Um, nine has actually been on top of those for a couple of years now. This isn't their first year doing really well in that space. Um, and why they care, they care most about that because that's what the advertisers buy. You know, the advertisers aren't out here buying total people, they're buying in those demos. So I spoke with um, Nye's chief of sales, Michael Stevenson, and he told me that's what they're programming towards, that's what they're aiming for, that's what um, CEO Hugh Marks really cares about. So I think perhaps being crowned in those areas is a little bit more important, but it's also quite nice to take the whole thing. Yeah, especially after 12 years of 
dominance from Seven and with the Olympics looming next year and Seven's new CEO, James Warburton, coming in, shaking up programming, bringing back Big Brother, Farmer Wants a Wife, lots of new launches and also signalling to the market that it has ageing warhorses and it wants to play more in the demos. So it's probably good for Nine to get this win on the board before we see the actual results of James Warburton's plans, which as yet, you know, I'm sure he's hoping they work, but we're yet to see. And also, even if they don't work again, Seven do have the Olympics next year. And no matter what you think about sport, that's not really what the Olympics is about. The Olympics is about everybody getting around the TV and watching. So I think Seven... I'm, I'm sure the athletes would disagree oh, a little bit. It's not, it's not <laughs> I'm about sport. I'm talking from it's a about... media point of view. I'm it's not a... talking from a Hannah noted athlete. It's about Slams Olympics. <laughs> I was going to say, actually, and this is a, a perhaps tenuous link, but you mentioned aging warhorses, Viv. Mm. Now we're talking about sport and the Olympics. We're talking about Hannah as an athlete. Mm. Viv mentioned in in the opener that Hannah is injured, but that kind of wasn't unpacked, and I just thought the people at home <laughs> deserve to know. Look, I took a fall as the aging warhorse I am. We are. <laughs> we're, at, we're at an age now where we don't fall. We we take have a, a fall. fall. <laughs> um, and I was also meant to attend the Mumbrella retreats in Tasmania, but unfortunately, I have torn a muscle in my foot, which has rendered me without the ability to walk. You're on crutches. I'm on crutches, um, but I'm still here, and I'm. <laughs> I'm holding holding down the team with Zoe in Sydney. Um, yeah, I think I think it's going to be. I think Seven have kind of given themselves the best basis to have a win in 2020. But saying that, I think Nine are now kind of hungry off the back of this win, and they keep championing their own consistency. That's what their entire upfronts was about was consistency. So I don't think it's going to be an easy win. Um, in 2020 and of course 10 also did quite well in the demos in 2019 and they were pretty open about how rough the beginning of the year was for them and how coming into 2020 they're a lot more confident so I for one I'm going to be watching very keenly next year yeah I don't think anyone is sort of going to come out and guarantee a win like Kurt did uh, back in 2018 because I think yeah the risks of doing so when it's changing so much and when there's such different approaches happening, yeah, we're probably not going to hear those confident declarations again because nobody expected Seven to have the year that it had and now it's sort of a completely different reinvigorated beast and somehow something I would never have seen a year ago is a lot of people in the market are talking about Seven as the underdog. You know, this is a company that won for 12 years engaged in a lot of chest beating, a lot of self-congratulations and they have a few shitty months and a humble uh, speech from James Warburton, the CEO, at its upfronts, and suddenly people are rooting for seven again and it's quite quite a turnaround. I think like the SMI, we are now too scared to make any predictions because I think especially if there's anything 2019 has taught us is that it's that things can move so quickly and things that we maybe would never have predicted Mm. to happen can happen. So Let's just not agree to anything. (laughs) Anything could happen is the only thing that Hannah's willing to (laughs) put her name to. Coming up next, we have our new sponsored segment, Audio Diaries, created by audio specialists Eardrum. This week, Ralph Van Dyke talks to the Kimberly Clark CMO about how Huggies have benefited from 30 years of consistent audio branding. (laughs) 
Hello, Mumbrellacast lovers. Welcome to Audio Diaries. Now, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear this song? It must be love, love, love. Okay, if you're thinking nappies, you've made my next guest really happy. Rahul Astana is the Senior Marketing Director at Kimberly Clark Australia and New Zealand. He's responsible for brands like Kleenex, You Buy Kotex, and of course, Huggies, the brand that's been using that track in its advertising for the last 30 years. I spoke to him about the role music, voice commerce, and audio in general is playing in building brands at Kimberly Clark. Which country did that come out of? Was it was it an Australian? It, it was an Australian initiative, yeah. and uh, actually, we use it largely in Australia. It's not used globally. Okay, at that time, the song would have been pretty much at its height. That's correct. So that can't have been cheap. You know, I, I would say yes, it wasn't, but I would say totally worth it. Mm. It's just a universal message. It's a timeless message, and it's still relevant today. Yeah. Um, and the way we've kept it fresh is we've, uh, you know, we've uh, refreshed the tune, the beats, and mm. you know, just kept it modern. And also, you know, as uh, we've expanded the brand portfolio and we've got different tiers in the brand, we've used it differently for different uh, parts of the portfolio. Do you think that a a new composition that was written specifically to uh, have the same sentiment of love and that universal feeling. Do you think that that would have been as effective 30 years on? It's a great question. And I think there's no right answer to it. I would say that given where we are, which is, uh, you know, we've got a great association with this for a long period of time. The bar for any new piece of music um, or any new composition just becomes that much higher. Mm. You know, I think part of it will then just become, you know, a question that we need to keep asking ourselves, which we do every year when the contract comes up for renewal on whether we still think that this is the right uh, association for the brand and it's still communicating what we need to. Yeah. Do you find that it's getting harder for brands to have that consistency over over a period of time? Or do you feel that it's, it's more important than it has been? I, and I think the answer to both is yes. It's become more difficult. And I think it's increasingly more important, you know, to just anchor yourself in some consistent, uh, you know, executional equities that consumers can associate uh, with the brand, you know, in a time where there's so much uh, proliferation uh, of brand choices uh, and at a time where the power is completely in the hands of the consumer to choose how they want to engage with the brand. Those consistent equities actually help drive the familiarity because of which a consumer may want to, you know, listen to your message for a little bit longer, which I just think is, uh, you know, invaluable in today's time. What are some of the challenges it, in remaining consistent from your perspective? You know, the biggest challenge, I would say, are marketers and agency people are thinking that, you know, it's getting old and we need to do something different. I would say that we have an advantage on Huggies because we get a fresh target audience every three years, right? True. Uh, as, as babies grow out of mm. nappies, um, you know, you get a new mom. But I would say primarily it would be more internal, right? You know, new marketers and new agencies, you know, wanting to leave their mark on the brand. Mm, yeah. You mentioned innovation uh, earlier. A nappy brand isn't really the first thing you think of when you think of voice commerce, but earlier this year you launched a set of audio activities that were accessible uh, via Amazon Alexa. Um, we'll have a listen to that and then we'll, perhaps if you could talk us through how it works. Sure. Sometimes you just need a helping hand. Huggies is now on Alexa with fun and interactive songs and activities for your family. Alexa, ask Huggies to play Active Time for Lucy. Okay, Lucy. Ready, steady, 
Let's play active time. So we had three or four different options depending upon the age of your baby. It was there to soothe the baby when uh, you know if the baby was uh, cranky, help the baby to fall asleep, uh, you know, help entertain the baby, and um, it really worked because it was hands free, right? Mm. So uh, parents could do other things, yeah, um, and they could activate uh, just via voice, yeah, you know. And Kimberly Clark, we uh, we strongly believe that voice is the future as uh, consumers have evolved from. Uh, text or you know websites to video did you use the it must be love mnemonic within the uh, skill if I think back I don't think so and I think uh, you know for us we were running towards creating a minimum viable product yeah. you know that we can get out there we did a campaign with uh, choosy uh, which is a, a, a insurance comparative site comparison site and uh, we had Alexa performing the mnemonic <laughs> and I could just imagine how she'd approach it must be love <laughs> uh, you know there are a couple of other things that we're looking at uh, you know uh, which is interesting because we're doing a podcast but we're looking at a podcast on Huggies mm. uh, which is a different way of bringing to life that we know uh, uh, you know content that we know the consumer values because we know that uh, close to a million of them visit our website every month you know to consume that content but increasingly, we want to present that content in a way which is more relevant to millennial moms or Gen Z moms as we are now starting to speak to them. So we felt that podcasts would be a really interesting way of bringing that content to life. We get asked to make a lot of branded podcasts. I'd say we turn down half of the requests because the world doesn't need another podcast about tires <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, or teeth whitening or whatever it is. But there's ways of finding the category or finding the world that that brand exists in and making something that will be popular because, you know, you're up against three quarters of a million other podcasts now and no one's forcing that content on a consumer, on a listener. They decide, they vote with their ears and they can make that decision within 30 seconds. 100%. So to find something that is relevant in that value exchange, like you said, is, is, is so critically important. Are there other brands within Kimberly Clark that are also exploring this, this new area? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, another brand that's worth talking about in Kimberly Clark is You by Cortex, mm. uh, which is the market leader uh, in feminine hygiene. And uh, music has always played a really a big role. Uh, and that's simply because the consumer that we're talking to, uh, you know, for them, music is a really important part of who they are. Mm. And it's a really important part of how they express themselves. So, you know, there are two things that, uh, you know, I'd like to talk about on You by Cortex. Uh, the first one is we're now in the third year of a brand campaign, which which is called Period or Not, She Can. Okay, let's just have a listen to a little bit of that. Right. We've chosen this track, uh, you know, very intentionally. It's called Bold. And, um, you know, I think it brings to life, again, what we want to stay, uh, what we want to say from you by Cortex to the consumer. It's uh, chosen deliberately where it's about the group, about girls, not just one girl with a single voice. It's about a group of girls. The other example, again, on you by Cortex is, uh, and this was more fun and lighthearted, um, you know, on Spotify, uh, we did uh, something called a period playlist. Oh, yeah. Uh, which, uh, you know, has a collection of songs uh, which we don't presume to tell girls will help them get through their period better and it was yeah. just a fun and lighthearted take mm. on something that could become quite difficult for girls that's great I mean just to, <coughs> and to have that really direct tone of voice is just disarming and very contemporary you know very much in touch with that generations and their attitude toward the subject right They're absolutely so, right yeah. yeah no that's great have you noticed any other have you got your eye on or your ear on any other uh, platforms that you're going to explore you know 
definitely on you by Cortex, we're exploring other platforms. So mm. TikTok, for example, yeah. you know, that combines, you know, obviously music has an important role to play for the videos that people make there. You know, as I mentioned earlier, voice search is something that we're really, you know, kind of interested in understanding mm. how that evolves yeah. uh, and really keeping pace with that. But, uh, you know, for us, it's a really simple principle, which is, we got to be where our consumers are. Do you have any advice for other marketers in your position, which, you know, specifically relating to, to audio and the use of sound? I think it's something you touched upon earlier, which is um, once you've found something that's really working, however tempting it might be to go and explore something different and something new, we found and we've shown, I think, on Huggies, at least that uh, sound can have legs and it can go on for much longer than, uh, you know, what we've seen. So I would say resisting that temptation and really being guided by one thing, which is is, does it still continue to be relevant for your consumer? And if the answer is yes, then you know just continue to stay with it. Rahul, thanks very much for your insights. Thank you, Rahul. And you can hear more audio diaries right here. If you'd like help exploring how your brand could reach the ever-expanding audiences who are navigating the world through their ears, get in touch with us at Eardrum. You can email us at info at eardrum.com.au. Thanks for listening. That's all for this week, team. Thank you for joining me. Thanks. Bye.